It's Monday, January 20th, 2020. And coming up, the Super Bowl is set. We'll tell you what the watch for in Super Bowl 54. Also, we'll dive into Mac Miller's new album, Circles, and the connection that Benny has to the late rapper. You won't want to miss that. All that and more coming up in minutes. This is The Tune-Up. Welcome on into the show. My name is Denny Gallagher, and I am joined by the Snare Campaign Provocateur, Mr. Don't Wake Me Up Because I Have a Dream. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? In honor of MLK. I like that. I like that. That's a wonderful connection. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think I sometimes think that I'm like, all right, at my age, even though I have some wisdom perhaps to impart, I think it's like the revolutionary side of me. Is it over? Like, am I too old to hit the streets? And I just need to... uh, you know, I need to to make young people go out and hit the streets. I need to be the puppet master now because my body's just breaking down. No, you, know? you can still get out there as long as it's <laughs> as long as it's for a worthy cause. But I want to start before we get into any of the topics today. We had a heated text exchange over a social media post that I put out over yeah. Kyrie Irving comments. Yeah, but. You got to understand, the one thing I'm trying to do with this whole endeavor what is, is to get the people talking. Okay. And I've embarrassed myself a couple times, <laughs> i.e. with the Mike McCarthy stuff. And so I figure nobody gets out of this unscathed. Maybe I shouldn't have brought in the Twitter account, Old Takes Exposed. But I want to get into this before we get into any of the other stuff we got to talk about today. Listen, I, I, it's, it's one of those things. It's like 12 hours after saying what I said. <laughs> That guy made it really hard to back up saying what I said. I literally, I put the full stamp of approval on the guy about 12 hours after he kicked me in the stomach. And then after about six hours after that, when you posted it, I got over myself. I learned to let, take this less seriously. And if I'm going to be exposed to an old take site, whatever, it's in good fun. And... uh Maybe my bad take would have brought some some people into the fold. <laughs> I understand why. I understand why. We need sometimes you need to uh, provide or stoke some controversy in this exactly. business, Denny. Exactly. I, I fully understand it. How how could we do this more? How do we spin a web? I mean, of, we're of, not just going to be of take, mystery. We're not going to be take artists. Like that's not like we fully believe everything that we're saying. Hopefully, I did. I fully believed. <laughs> Kyrie Irving would never turn his back <laughs> on me and New Jersey prior to making those statements. Maybe it's, you know what? In some ways, I'm a perpetual optimist <laughs> and I can't let things like this lead me astray. I need to stay right. on the path of the righteous man. Stay on the course because it's good for your brand. It's That's good right. for your <laughs> nets, whatever the heck the brand is, it's good for it. <laughs> All right, Benny, because we can't go from cold takes to hot takes. Without warming up, it's time for our don't fuck this up person or thing of the week. Look at us. Look at us. Huh? Who would have thought? Not me. And the last thing I said to him, I said, look, man, don't fuck this up for me. Don't fuck it up. Benny, who do you got? <laughs> I have a whole organization uh, this week. I find it really funny and ironic as a lifelong Yankees fan. No offense to my friends across the river, but they tend to stumble over their own feet a lot, make some bad decisions and do this. And in the most New York metropolitan fashion, they have somehow become 
embedded into the cheating scandal without cheating. It's like the most Mets thing ever where they literally needed to fire their brand new hotshot manager, start a very promising season, which it actually is because of their pitching staff, under this umbrella of cheating and Astros and all that, and they never cheated, which it, it, it's like if you watch this this narrative play out long enough, it couldn't be a more median thing that happened, and I can't believe they meted themselves into this situation. It's kind of like, and I know I bring up sports comparisons in the dating world a lot, but it's kind of <laughs> like, all right, so you meet this new girl, and it's like, oh, this is an amazing relationship. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you start seeing your ex DMs you on Instagram or however she's getting back into yeah. the fold, and you start having to be like, oh, man, I thought I got out of this, but there's always that lingering connection. It's Be like, what happened a couple years ago? Yeah. Was this a crooked path you took to me? <laughs> yeah, it, it, makes you, it makes you suspect. You have the, your eyes for the future, but you can never really escape your past, which is a great life lesson for Listen, us. Listen, and that's where, you know, smart people know, know their telltales early. <laughs> I once got out of a dating relationship because I saw a woman be rude to a waiter. And I was like, you know what? I've never been rude to a waiter who didn't deserve it. And under no circumstance should that happen. Deal breaker. (laughs) Done. I was very Seinfeldian back in the day with that kind of stuff. (laughs) Benny, my don't fuck this up person of the week are all of the NBA's GMs. The trade deadline is February 6th, which means a lot of GMs are trying to make their teams better. They're trying to make moves. Granted, there's the buyout market that comes after the fact, and I have a simple message for all of these NBA GMs. Keep it simple. The trade deadline is not your friend. The buyout market is. Now, the buyout market may look a lot weaker if the Pels go on a run, especially with the return of Zion coming up this week, Mm. and they want to keep J.J. Redick, or the Grizzlies and Iguodala remain at a standstill. But I would just say to everybody out there, wait for a potentially weaker buyout market than giving up your future for the likes of an Andre Iguodal. So NBA GMs, keep it simple, and that means you, Sixers. I see you didn't like that Kent Bazemore movement, huh? No. That's all we're getting so far. A little Jeff Teague, a little Kent Bazemore, we had a, a little expirings. We had a, a host on NBA Radio put it best. He was like, I didn't even know that Caleb Swanigan wasn't on the Trailblazers right. anymore he because he just on. keeps going back and forth. I kind of thought he was still on that <laughs> team, too. He might actually get a little run now. Swanigan's a decent player. Uh, I, I don't think we're going to get too many clicks talking about Caleb, though. Yeah. That's a deep cut. That's that is not the audiogram for this deep week. <laughs> First topic here to the gridiron we go, and our Super Bowl is set after championship Sunday. I don't even know if that's what they call it. It just sounds good in the it moment. Sounds nice. Sounds After nice. the Kansas City Chiefs, Benny, they're going back to the Super Bowl for the first time since 1969. Cue in your Hotel California reference there as they beat the Titans 35-24. Patrick Mahomes with a game for the ages yesterday. And then on the other hand, Aaron Rodgers. The guy who seems to be having a diminishing chances of getting back to the Super Bowl, may only finish his career with one title. Mm -hmm. And I know Packers fans are always stressed out about, are we wasting Aaron Rodgers? And I think, you know, that narrative on a national landscape is growing stronger by the year, but they couldn't get it done yesterday. Ten ten years now, right? Ten years now since the last one. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. They've parted ways with a couple of coaches since, but they fell to the Niners yesterday in a stunning effort. Well, not not stunning in like the shocking sense, but 
The Niners roll them again by a score of 37-20. to 20. Benny, we have a Chiefs-Niners Super Bowl in Miami. What do you like here? Well, I mean, I got a couple weeks yeah. to make my final pick. Right, exactly. But um, we're just a primer. We're getting into here. We're getting into it. I love the fact... Well, first off, when we go to 69, I, I don't know. I go straight to Brian Adams. Oh. I don't know about you. I'm in the summer of 69. I was thinking right we haven't away. had this wine here since 1969. But yeah, but Andy Reid was 11 the last time they were there, and Patrick Mahomes was negative 25 the last time the Chiefs were in the Super Bowl. I mean, Andy Reid now, he's got a lot to prove, and it seems like one of those things that it's really set up for him because somehow magically his – his nemesis going into this would be Bill Belichick, who's out of the equation, and probably the Ravens and Lamar Jackson, who are now out of the equation. That seemed to be the biggest roadblocks for the Chiefs, besides for their own health. And once Mahomes was in the lineup, and once he started rolling, I mean, it almost looks like a team that the only person who can stop that team is that team themselves. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, literally, the Chiefs are 27-8, and eight when Patrick Mahomes starts and their losses are by a total of 36 points in those eight losses. So when he's going, when he's healthy, it's a near unstoppable offensive force. One of those magical things that just happens every once in a while. And it's sort of quite the opposite on the other side where you have Jimmy G who's playing very much like a game manager. Seems like his coach doesn't have a lot of confidence in him. And his kid, Moster, I mean, who runs for, what, 14, 160, and three touchdowns in the first half yesterday. This is his, like, seventh team in five years, been kicking around the league. And, you know, you've seen these stories before where sometimes people catch this flash of lightning, but, you know, eventually a few games goes and you go, oh, that's the reason this guy's been on seven teams in the last five years. So as much as I do quite like the Niners' defense – my my early feeling is definitely leaning towards the Chiefs. What about you? Raheem yesterday, by the way, 220. People thought he was going to beat Eric Dickerson's single-game yeah, playoff yeah, record. Incredible performance, and rolling. he's really had a great postseason. And that's funny, considering it was a day where people thought that another back, Derrick Henry, that's was right. going to be the story, that's and right. they isolated him in Kansas City. But no, I think we have what we love in a Super Bowl matchup. A high-flying offense versus a tough defense. And a lot of the time, history has showed us that the that the victor in that matchup tends to be the defense. I mean, you mm-hmm. look at those Giants teams. Sure. You look at those Bears teams that both had these vaunted defenses. I mean, you even go to the, the Ravens. If Trent Dilfer can win a Super Bowl as a, a quarterback, Jimmy G is a much better game manager. No disrespect to Trent Dilfer. Would love to have him on the show at some point. But... I think all signs point toward now. I get it. Kansas City, historic offense. Patrick Mahomes. And I think the interesting thing, little known fact about Andy Reid, this has nothing to do with his football ability. Went to the same high school as Leonardo DiCaprio. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, he okay. grew up in, in that in that neighborhood <laughs> in LA. So he's a he's a LA guy. People Love to respect. Well, Leo, him. as good as he is, doesn't do a lot of winning. That's right. So, that's right. So, I don't so, know. So maybe, maybe that's this high a, school is doomed. Maybe that's a high school for losers. No, I mean, it, I mean, it's funny for me to even come around all these years later because these 2004 Eagles we're talking about, <laughs> yeah. I quite hate it. Yeah, you should know. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I remember. I think these. as many people in yeah. Northern Jersey did. Yeah, yeah, and New York. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, maybe that's is that the narrative of this Super Bowl? Then is 
whoever wins cements themselves as an all-time offense or an all-time defense. Yeah. I think the AFC, if the Chiefs can keep it together, is theirs for the taking for the foreseeable future. I mean, you see the uncertainty in New England, and all of a sudden, what does the next decade hold for the AFC? I mean, it very much looks like you have a chance for it to be Kansas City's, especially if they can, I mean, Mahomes is on the sure. way younger oh, side. Oh, yeah, this could be a So this, this could, could be, be a, a thing that if they could keep it together. And one Super Bowl, I know a lot of the time in sports we talk about legacy. If Andy Reid can start this, get his first Super Bowl, it's crazy to me that yesterday people were talking about him and Belichick in the same sentence because he's not a coach that traditionally you, you yeah. think in the same Belichickian phrase. But, hey, if he can get on a run here with Kansas City, people forget about the Philadelphia tenure, and that becomes his legacy. It's sure. an interesting thing. Bill Belichick started slow, too. Exactly. There's a couple bumps in the road there yeah. before he became what he is. I also wonder, too, as the couple weeks roll on, how much of a sort of – social and cultural element is going to play into this Super Bowl. You kind of have the the beautiful, square-jawed, Tom Brady-ish white guy, Nick Bosa, who had some, you know, underwhelming comments before he got to the league. And then on the other side, you know, Patrick Mahomes, kind of a high-flying team, a little bit more uh, a little bit more swag, a little bit more of this. And and in these times, I think it's interesting to see how just this this culturally plays out. The Chiefs feel like a younger team to me. They feel more fun. And the Niners feel a little a little older and more old school at this time. And I guess that's I'm wondering how that plays out in the next couple of weeks. The amazing matchup that I'm looking forward to in this game is a real testament to the NFL in 2020. It's the tight end position. Mm. Kelsey versus Kittle. Kelsey Kittle, yeah. You have you have Kelsey who led all NFL tight ends with uh 1229 yards receiving and 97 catches. Then then you have Kittle who a, a tick below that with 85 catches for 1053 yards. So those two going But a, but a sparkler. I mean, he's a, he's yeah, a great blocker. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, great blocker. And I don't think we've had a, a, a tight end matchup like no, this really yeah. ever in yeah. the Super Bowl. I mean, I Not don't only that, the personalities of those two, they're both trying to get on Dancing with the Stars yeah, right. and shit the way they act. Yeah, Kelsey dropping old Beastie Boys in the oh, yeah. trophy presentation yeah, he's trying to He's trying to get more than that. He's trying to get a, a Bud Light commercial Well, have or you seen this? He has a dating show. He does. He has a oh. dating show where he has, like, he is the bachelor but it's every single season he is the focus of the show. Well, that's so pretty slutty. He's not really, yeah. <laughs> like he's not really here to find love. He's just out here trying to get yeah. his name here. Goodness gracious, Travis! Patrick Mahomes is the best thing that's ever happened to him because he's locked down. I don't know if you've seen his. I hope I hope Trav makes his way to the clinic every couple months. <laughs> Jesus, goodness gracious, Travis! Take it easy. All right, Benny. To the hardwood we go. And news out of Golden State. I know it's been a quiet season for them, but Steph Curry eyeing a March 1st return versus the Washington Wizards. Got a couple, there's a couple interesting angles here. Sure, sure. The Warriors star has not played much this year, as has the rest of his teammates, as they've been decimated by injuries. What do the Warriors hope to get out of this stretch at the end of the season? I mean, they're, they're playing with a, a lot of young guys. Is it kind of like, I know we brought up a reality show with Travis Kelsey, but is is it like who's going to make the team with Steph Curry and the Warriors for 2020-2021? I mean, that's kind of the only way to see it at right. this point. Like, Because um, you bring Steph back on March 1st, 
They have 22 games remaining in the season from that point. Now, the Warriors are currently the worst team in the league at 10 and 34, but a few teams in the East, such as the Hawks, the Knicks, the Cavs, a couple teams in the West who look primed to maybe start tanking towards the end of the season, you know, the Warriors are going to be a four or five game run at any point in March and April to putting themselves into uh, the, the middle tier of lottery teams. Um, so it could be an indication that uh, their front office isn't extremely high on any of the top three prospects, the Wiseman's, the Balls, the Edwards that are coming out. It could be an indication that they want to see if D'Angelo Russell and Steph Curry can operate a team together if that's even possible moving yeah. forward and what, you know, maybe you have to see it in the flesh, but also, um, and, and I can say this as a Nets fan this season, pretty <laughs> with a lot of um, confidence is the idea that team chemistry means something. Uh, some of the parts that have come into play for the, uh, for the Warriors this season, particularly Pascal uh, has a lot of implications for the future because him and Draymond can't really play together. That's sort of been an indication already. And you do have to kind of set up for what kind of team you're going to be next year, which kind of sets you're going to be running next year, especially in a crowded West where, you know, you can start slipping out of the top part of the West fairly quick. So, and it seems like it's a sure thing. Steve Kerr, Steve Kerr said if he's healthy, he plays. Uh, it's a hand injury. It's nothing that should plague him. And it looks like it's looked like he's definitely going to be out there in March. You brought up D'Angelo Russell, the trade rumors. Uh, I I know we brought up the deadline before Minnesota making a hard push to get D'Angelo Russell and Uh, just traded Jeff Teague off. Right. Exactly. So, So I think you talk about what the objectives are for the Warriors in the second half of this season, right? As, as, as they go down this final stretch, Yes, you have your group that you want Steph to get comfortable with. And I know there's been a lot of people talking about, well, playing any games this year have an impact on Steph Curry's legacy. And, Benny, surprisingly or not, there's a lot of old-timers who used to play in the NBA mm-hmm. that discredit Steph a lot. It's crazy. I mean... Absolute madness. Right. And if you look at his resume, look at his rings, it's all there for you. So I don't think in that sense you can look at and blame any of the season on on Steph Curry but what you can look at is you know getting him and Draymond getting that connection back you can get further numbers and really that that's what this stems down to is the analytics of him and D'Angelo Russell mm. going forward and how they can all work together so a lot working for for the Warriors here but uh I think if they're going to make any moves at the deadline seeing who they want to bring in I, I know we brought up the Timberwolves mm-hmm. before so I think if you can maybe add a piece or two and see what the future looks like, I think you can have a lot more clarity going into the draft and what you need. And what I mean, you know, part of it is is you know you take the mid '90s Spurs. You know, there's no Tim Duncan in this draft. There's no one that you're just like, hey, this guy's on our team. We're now a we now have our centerpiece. We now have the thing to move forward with. There's no sure thing like that. Wiseman looks interesting, but he literally played a game. In college, mm, yeah. ball looks interesting, 
but he's playing in Australia. Yeah. Edwards looks interesting, but he's playing for a terrible team that might not make the tournament. All of these so, guys outside of Edwards are sitting out the rest of the year, ball with a foot and right. Wiseman with suspense. So, so there's not that sure thing out there. Now, here's another element to this, another wild card. I know currently the Warriors are 11 games behind the eight seed, but what if a Steph Curry, Draymond Green, D'Angelo Russell team who is a one seed in the West wants to see that if they crack the eight seed? Yeah, right. I mean, I mean, there's a chance. You still have a chance to make a little run and crack the eight seed with three all-stars and, and give someone a run in the first round and be like, where are the Warriors? We'll see you next year. I mean, it might be in play. Like, the, this isn't a team that's accustomed to losing. They're a team that likes uh, sort of fucking with conventions surrounding them. So who knows? Maybe they're trying to do it. I don't like that for their long-term future yeah. at all. I feel like if you can get a guy who has a, a high ceiling, maybe to be your next Durant or a, a guy that can be a high-production guy in the draft, I think that's the angle you have to go. Steve Kerr has been very, very patient this year. He's probably been frustrated a lot, but sure. he knows that the fruits long-term, like everyone's been bringing up, they have that real Spurs potential for next year so i think you got a tank but you're already paying steph you might as well put it put him out there yeah i don't think curry dropping a 30 spot in some of these games is going to make much of a difference but who knows and i mean maybe part of this too is something we didn't bring up is the warriors are playing in a new stadium this year yeah they got a lot of tickets to sell and they probably haven't been selling that mm. many so yeah. if you can get 20 games of steph or i don't know how many home games that is but 10, 11 games of Steph Curry towards the end of the year to boost a little revenue. I'm sure those guys aren't going to complain about that. All right, Benny, we've reached the halfway point of the podcast, which means it's time for our dollar slice take of the week. Well, since uh, baseball's been in so much trouble, I don't know if you've heard, uh-huh, no. a little bit of cheating. Oh. Uh, you know, sometimes they've uh, they've had a couple issues with steroids oh. in the past. Yeah. Baseball, a couple transgressions. So, why has no one started the MLX yet? The special XFL version of baseball. Anything goes. Steroids, legal. Juiced balls, legal. Bring in the fences, and here you go. You want to solve the problem of balls and strikes and calling them? You could have only fastballs. And then if there's two strikes... You sub out the pitcher for a pitching machine right down the middle. Never be a ball again. There's no no confusion. And then at some point, since it would be the MLX, I would like some sort of physical contact and the potential for injury. Uh, I'm not sure in which way. Probably, again, to bring up my roaming defender idea who cruises on the base pass trying to prevent people to slide in. What do you think, MLX? That would that that sounds. Do you remember that that video game? I it was like MLB like Super Smash or something like that. I know that that's not the exact title, yeah. but, but you could like charge the mound. That's right. That sounds to me with all of your dollar slice takes of what to do with Major League Baseball. That sounds like what you want. And here's the even better angle of this, right? Lay it on me. With all of the streaming services, you know, like your ESPN Pluses, your pay per views, all of that stuff. I think that there's a real market potential that MLB and BAM Tech hasn't quite realized with Major League Baseball. If you make it a little bit more exciting like that, yeah. people, obviously, if people are going to pay to see Conor McGregor 
fight right. some some schlub who apparently has yeah, the yeah. most wins in MMA history. Whatever yeah. the heck that means, they would pay to see baseball right. players juiced up fighting. Yeah. Heck, make it even more interesting. Don't even put it in this country. Re- replace the Caribbean Winter League. Do it down there <laughs> in like Costa Rica. <laughs> bilingual international mlx and maybe even on a ship to avoid any kind of law we'll have international waters anything goes i love this i love this all right benny my dollar slice take is we need to put an end to fans congratulating the other team they lost to on social media i saw this a lot yesterday (laughs) from packer fans to 49ers fans here's a rule of thumb if you weren't playing or have equity in your team, I mean like actual skin like in the your game, money. You're talking actual money, money yeah. invested in this team, you have every right to not be sportsmanlike. With that said, I'm not going to say that that you should go out and burn, burn jerseys, a la LeBron going to Miami, but there needs to be a happy medium of some point. I don't need you out here saying, congrats, 49ers, you earned it. You're damn right they earned it. They beat you fair and square. Are you trying to make yourself feel better? I don't think anybody needs this. Take your L and go home. Danny. Dollar Slice Take in 2020. Let's put the fanatic back in the fan. (laughs) So your message to the people for 2020 is no more sportsmanship. That's right be meaner that's right all right i'm all, right. all for being politically correct You're and probably, all that yeah, stuff you... but god damn it it's sports you should run for office <laughs> <laughs> all right benny second half of the podcast which means we go to the top of the fold <laughs> on what would have been his 28th birthday mac miller's brother took to instagram to celebrate his brother's life Mac Miller's posthumous album Circles was released two days before his birthday. It's the first release by the Miller estate since he passed of an overdose. Benny, you're familiar with posthumous albums. You're familiar with music in general. Let's kind of take us inside. Sure. Well, I mean, I'm not exactly sure what the ins and outs of his deal was, but, you know, when you pass away, some people formally set up who's going to handle their music and their estate. Some people don't, and it goes to certain people. In this case, it looked like his family was handling it. Mm. Um, So these things are uh, sensitive and need to be dealt with on a case-to-case basis because everything is so different and the circumstances are so different surrounding all of them. Um, In this case, with the estate being his family, therefore probably having the rights to make any adjustments in releasing it. And also in cases like this where the artist was working and in deep into a session where he passes suddenly, I think it's a pretty fair tribute to both the artist and the fans to show where they were at that time and kind of give a window into that. And I personally can't think of many artists who wouldn't want those types of labors to be seen and validated even after they go, unless it's like wildly unfinished or something they were you know, toying around with and not sure about. But these seem to be like pretty laid out songs that they knew they were going to put out. And so so in this case, yeah, I don't see any problem with it. There is definitely a need for it. I mean, uh, this was one of those losses that left a huge hole for his fans, you know, people who were so invested in this guy and his music. I, I truly didn't know that much about him before he passed, I'm afraid to say. But looking back into his life afterwards... 
has has led me to see the passion people had for the artist. So it's nice to have the music out even later. So all that being said, I do have a strange connection to Mac Miller, and it's not because I ever met him personally. So a little background in your where you went to college out in Milwaukee, there's a very famous venue called The Rave. Now, the first time I went to The Rave, I had no idea what it was. And someone said, hey, it's where the the Hulk goes crazy at the beginning of the Pantera vulgar display of power DVD. So all I knew of this place was some giant uh, road crew member of Pantera dressed up like Incredible Hulk trashing a backstage room in this place. That's the only thing I knew about it. So I go there the first time, and so this venue was built in 1926, and it was the original home of the Fraternal Order of the Eagles. Now, this organization had, like, a gym and athletic stuff that was part of their organization, and apparently a young boy died in his pool in 1927. And that, coupled with some other things that that people who work at this venue have told me with, with other people who have passed away there and, and some strange things that have happened. So about 10 years ago, when you were playing the rave, you kind of, you know, there's many, this is like a four-level venue with different rooms and stuff like that, but all the dressing rooms are in the basement. And you go through some, I, like... I've played that place so many times and I can never not get lost. It's impossible getting from like the stage to wherever you're going. It's very tricky. And uh, back in the day, you would literally be in sort of a dingy kind of basement room with maybe like a tapestry hung up. And it was really eerie down there. And I didn't really know why. And then I started hearing the stories. And then the first time I was there, I got a tour of the pool. The pool is abandoned. It's very deep. It has windows all around it. There's all these creepy rooms off to the side of it. It is inherently eerie as fuck. Uh, The first time I was there, apparently there's a chair. You're not allowed to move because it was a chair of a ghost that often sits there. And I first went in there with Matt Skiba from Alkaline Trio, who likes to dance with the devil and move the chair. And, And I was forever terrified of the fact that he did this. But... Ten years later, this summer, just in April, I'm at the rave again, and it's a little more cleaned up this time. The The basement rooms are a little trimmed up. They have some nice stuff. You don't feel like you're in such a dungeonous, scary place anymore. And there's kind of like a nice window that lets you look out into the pool, and now it's all locked up. Like, you can't go down there anymore unless, you know, you have someone from the venue and like a tour. Uh, so I was on tour with Laura Jane Grace and Control Top with my band Mercy Union, and we wanted to take the ghost tour and have some fun and see what's going on. So we go in there, finally got let in late at night, and the pool has been cleaned up since the last time I was there, and there's some things signed on the wall, one of which being Mac Miller, and being the old school graffiti guy I am, and, and, spending many years going from venue to venue, putting my name on walls. Uh, you know, I took a marker out of my pocket and started putting the, the tour up, basically. Not even my, I didn't even write our name yet. I was doing Laura Jane Grace, Mercy Union. I was going to write the whole tour with a date. And then out of nowhere, some guy goes, No! Like the water boy. No! And I'm like, whoa, whoa, what, what, what? He's like, stop, stop! And I'm like, whoa. And I look up, and he's like, no, no, you can't sign there. You can't sign there. I'm like, okay, okay. And, and I thought he was being a little over the top. And then before I know it, 
some guy is down there with like spray and a and a scotch bright like taking what i wrote off and i'm like jesus christ okay i know we're the opening band but you know you didn't have to do this and i realized like i had signed right next to mac miller now mac miller i didn't know prior to this had very famously written the words i once lived now i am dead my soul remains here he wrote this on the wall he had a big history with this with this venue, he had sold it out many times. Uh, he was scheduled to play there again in November. He passed away in September. And on top of that, the words he wrote, which are pretty cryptic to begin with, were written between the 25 and 30 markers of the pool, which is the age he died at, at 27. So there was some serious, serious juju with Mac Miller going on here. And uh, I spent many days afterwards exploring the possible connection to Mac Miller and the disservice I may have done to his spirit, his ghost, and all these things by signing next to him at the wall at the rave. It is no longer there, so the memory of me signing there does not remain. But spiritually, I had done it. I have done it. I've owned up to it. I've apologized to whatever spirits I need to. And I hope I didn't uh, desecrate something very special. But I do find it really uh, bizarre and cryptic that he wrote those words just before he died. And, and it always makes me think sometimes how much these people were maybe crying out for help or something without, without us even really knowing it. You know what's super interesting about the last show that he played at the rave? I remember that I wasn't there, but I remember seeing on Twitter that a bunch of people were super excited that Ariana Grande was there because they were mm. dating at the time. So if he wrote that about the same time that they were dating or maybe on The Rocks, that's kind of interesting. I know people bring up that connection with his death a lot, but... She was at that show. He huh. wrote that the day of. Probably, I would assume that that was the last time that he was at the rave in Milwaukee. So Pretty that's wild. a very interesting yeah. connection. I mean, yeah, because they used to give out, like, my like freshman year, like, he sold it out a lot of the time because yeah. they were giving out, like, free tickets and stuff like that. But as he got famous and uh, his his reputation grew... That become a hard ticket to try to get. Believe sure. me, I tried. Oh, sure, sure. I mean, the funny part about all this is I took it in a very spooky way. Yeah. But in reality, if I had gone there with gaslight, started putting gaslight on the wall, no one probably would have said shit. <laughs> they were just mad I was in one of the opening bands now, going going next to Mac Miller. So, you know, they were just trying to keep their rep of uh, cool headlining bands who sell it out should, should only sign the back, you know? Fair enough, fair enough. All right, Benny. It was announced this week that the Walt Disney Company will be taking the Fox out of 20th Century Pictures and Fox Searchlight Pictures. So Fox, it's completely out of there, which there's a lot of different angles that you can go. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's the clear distinction of how Disney wants to completely separate itself from Fox and what's become the Fox News brand. And it's interesting how the cable network has kind of besmirched the the entire Fox brand, which is older than the news network itself. But I think from a, a strictly Hollywood perspective, this move is a lot bigger 
and it really harkens back to an, an older day of Hollywood. But from a surface level, introductory level, what is your take on Disney removing the Fox from 21st Century Fox and Fox Searchlight Pictures? It's got very little to do with me. Uh, <laughs> so the only thing that was really important to me was that the intro was the same. Yeah. And the 20th Century Fox intro is remaining the same, same music, just without the Fox. So that's kind of really where I was invested. Uh, <laughs> I was there. I do like... Uh, I thought it was funny that there was this political element to it. The thing I think about with stuff like this and where it always goes is like, I think of the boardrooms and the golf courses that decisions like this are made. And I think of the people trying to maximize every penny out of me. And I think about the fact that I want to watch just like, honey, I shrunk the kids and the nets like in the same place and not get 27 different providers because of whatever fucking deals they're making. So I would rather just like have one company called a uh, TV, just that's it. TV international <laughs> who I paid a small fee to every week or month. And they just gave me everything I wanted. I think I'd prefer that to all these shenanigans. Do you have a, a more insightful take? Yeah, a little <laughs> bit. So 20th Century Pictures was a, uh, a a studio that was founded in 1933. Mm -hmm. they, two years later, they merged with Fox in 1935. So a lot of people were quite upset that, oh my gosh, you're taking the Fox out of it. When really and truly, granted, it was a whole different media landscape, sure. but this is a, we're, we're more going back to an original Hollywood company, which I think is kind of cool that, that because granted they had, had a, a two year shelf life, but that like 1933 was like primetime Hollywood, like, yeah. like, like, like before the whole rap hack Sinatra era, like a lot of movies that we would never watch today, but it's very important in the rise of U.S. cinema on the global landscape. So that's that's pretty cool, That the fact that the Disney company, and I, I know that that has nothing to do with, from a business standpoint, of why they're doing it, but it, it's pretty cool that this old brand has a chance to come back and really envelop what uh, 20th Century Fox was. They have that whole catalog, but it's under kind of the rightful heir of the 20th Century Pictures. So that's... That's pretty cool for me. I mean, how much how much of this was rebranding? Nothing's really gonna change. You're still gonna have your bump 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 right. bump. Yeah, like that whole that's thing. That's what like, we need. Like that's all that you need. That's been around since that's 1933. Safe. That's safe. That's safe. It's really just the fox out of there. So not much is gonna change for the most people. Well, are fox people gonna uh, like protest searchlight pictures now? Oh my, You're maybe like, no more searchlight <laughs> pictures. <laughs> No more Disney. What if, oh my God, what if they, pr like, uh, you know what would make me so happy, Denny? What? If you just saw, like, a bunch of people down in, like, northern Florida in Corona board shorts, like, melting all their Avengers DVDs and shit. <laughs> that would be just just a golden, golden nugget of television that I, I, would, I would pay to see that. Fuck. We're running out of room on the podcast, which means it's time for the tune-up mailbag. You've got mail. Quite a bit of mail this week. Uh, we caused some controversy with Kyrie Irving. Yeah. We meaning you, but... <laughs> and I apologize for throwing you under the bus again, but it's for the brand. It's for, it's the, for the brand. brand. <laughs> How many times have we said brand on this podcast? It's Woo. sickening, right? Ugh. So last week we got into the subject of Kyrie Irving, 
and all that stuff. And, you know, we posted a little audiogram about it and got a lot of feedback. So we got a lot of stuff into VTuneUpHQ on Twitter. David Coleman writes, Kyrie has no loyalty to anyone. I wouldn't put much faith in him. He doesn't even acknowledge he was born here in Australia. It is what it is. I feel like this is a uh, political tweet from Dave Coleman. At yeah, this point. I think so. I think so. This is why I liked it. We got one from uh, Jason at, at J. Michael, who who I believe has chimed in with me before, and I believe is a youth sports coach. Okay, which to me raises his uh, <laughs> raises what he says <laughs> an extra degree. Uh, he said there is no doubt he would pull this. I'm also bitter from taking my kid up to a camp of his in Boston. It was horrible. He pulled some nonsense about coming off an injury and ditched after one day of the two-day camp. Ugh. I mean, you kind of—I feel like a lot of those camps are now. There, there are some great camps where guys don't screw you over. I.e., my guy Brian Scalabrini actually works with the kids, but a lot of these camps are cash grabs. So this guy at. His name is Young Bourdain at Mr. Galf Argyll, <laughs> Mr. Girth Alger, and he's a lot like you, oh, yeah? uh, using a relationship reference to oh. explain sports. <laughs> he says, he's like a beautiful woman who deep down is nothing more than a mean bee. I'm not going to say that here. <laughs> the talent beauty keeps you coming back and hoping you'll be the one he, she changes for, but the truth is nothing's ever going to change. He sucks and his talent isn't worth any of the baggage. So harsh words for Kyrie. <laughs> now, let's clear one thing up, okay? Please so, do. So, so last week, I'm coming off the game. Kyrie's been gone for months. I go to the stadium to see Kyrie. Granted, he plays the Trey Youngless Hawks, but he goes 10 of 11. He looks great. The offense is flowing. He looks happy. Bench looks happy. He's doing uh, Vince Carter's at the game. He's doing post game where he's saying all the right things, and and you, you do that thing. He, he made me believe it again, you know, like uh, just like he does with everyone else. And you know, less than twenty four hours later, he comes out and makes the very inappropriate comments about his team and the structure of the team. Again, you know. With him, it's not all necessarily untrue. You know, the things he says aren't totally untrue, but there is zero point in saying them. And that's where when I stand up for the guy for being intelligent, which I do think he is, I can't understand why you would spin your own web without understanding you're spinning it, which would make me think that it's uh, – intentional would which would mean he's a total psychopath um, <laughs> but he did all these things and and then and then the thing that's just baffling about it is like you can understand right a guy has a low day he has a you know a flutter of some different thoughts and he has a thought a little mixed up so he says a bunch of the right things which is i've talked to my team i've talked to my coaches i let them know this isn't part of who I am, you can ask them, I'm a good locker room guy in this. And then he says, and you know what? And you guys, if you're not inside of the locker room, you should stay the fuck out of the locker room. I'm like, Kyrie, 12 hours ago, you invited everyone in again. <laughs> you know, this is the thing I don't understand about him is like, if you want people out of your locker room, you keep things in the fucking locker room, right? Mm. So so quickly, <laughs> he just did one of those, those really like, 
you know, uh, mind-boggling things that helps no one. It doesn't help his team. It doesn't help him. It doesn't help his relationship with the fans. It's just all a bad look sort of thing. And then on top of that, as a Nets fan, watching guys like Joe Harris, who've been plugging away for years, Jared Allen, Torian Prince, who's been a big part of the team this year, who were left off his illustrious list, apparently, of people who aren't good enough. Uh, you know, I hate to see player like Jared Allen get alienated right now. It's our guy. We drafted him. I've been watching him bulk up, uh, you know, bear in mind, not much, but, but considerably through the years. I'm invested in these guys. And on top of that, this is a playoff team that brought back a healthy Karis LeVert and signed Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. I mean, sorry, get your head out of your ass. Like, this is what you have in the East right now. And yes, they'll probably make another move next year, but... No point in saying it. Uh, I I fully I'm not going to go ahead and retract my statements from last week and say I'm not behind Kyrie anymore because I am. And all the people who said everything they said this week to me, you baiting me to a cold take site, all of it. It's fair. I fucked up. I went a little too far ahead of myself. I didn't use Boston as a cautionary tale. If anything, I blamed Boston for being a, a square town that couldn't handle someone as sensitive as Kyrie. So I need to back off, and I'm going to give Kyrie a week or two, see if he's a company man and can maybe lead us to a couple wins during a, a tough stretch against the Sixers and the Lakers this week. So, so we'll see. But I'm, uh, where, where I was red hot about Kyrie last week, I now remain lukewarm. Well, if you enjoyed this podcast, there's plenty of ways to get in contact with us. You can email us at thetuneuppodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet at us. You can DM us on Instagram at thetuneuphq. You can follow him on Twitter at Benny Horowitz1, number one in your minds, number one in your hearts, number one on Twitter. I am at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, anything else? That's it. Have a great week. Everybody love everybody. You have been listening to The Tune-Up.